Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study. Jesus, name above all names, I worship you. Jesus, you're worthy to be praised, I worship you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10:17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next several minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. Hey everybody, I'm Jordan Pine. And I'm Andy Baylog. Let's get started. Today we will study some pretty popular but often misunderstood verses in Matthew chapter 18. The context is people's sins and how we should judge them. When Jesus spoke to his disciples regarding this, he taught them about binding and loosening things on earth and in heaven. Join us for 20 minutes as we prepare to dig deep to find out what all this truly means. Let's listen now to the Word of God. A teaching of Jesus from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus said, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But. If he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. That was Matthew 18, verses 15 to 18. Before attempting to interpret scripture, we always used the SPACE method. SPACE is just an acronym that we created to remind Bible students to consider the speaker, SP, the audience, A, and the context, C, before attempting an explanation, E. So let's use the SPACE method on today's scripture reading. First, let's start with the speaker. Here we see that Jesus Christ himself is the speaker. Now, if you have a red letter Bible, you can see these verses are in red ink to showcase that Jesus is the speaker. Now, the disciples knew and they accepted Jesus as their Messiah. They knew he was the promised one. And in Matthew chapter 16, 13 to 19, we even see Peter confessing for the first time that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. And we will look into these verses later as they are connected to our study today. As for the A, the audience, it's the disciples. And this is very important because disciples do not represent the average believer. They represent faithful followers and students of Jesus who are obeying their calling. Also important, if not obvious, his disciples were saved. How do we know this? First off, keep in mind that they were Jews. At this time in history, the Jews were safe on what we call the layaway plan, as Pastor Whipple called it, the founder of our ministry. That simply means their sins had not yet been paid for, only atoned for. Hebrews 11, for example, says that from Abel all the way down through King David and beyond, Jews, quote, 
gained approval through their faith, although God had provided something better for us, meaning the church, so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Yeah, Jordan, basically they were saved by looking forward to the Messiah in faith. And by the way, just for those of you at home who don't know what the word atone means regarding the Old Testament saints, basically atonement is just a covering or a blanketing or a shielding. So in other words, whatever sins were committed back then, however way the priests and the high priests went in to, to cover those sins or atone those sins was what they did procedurally to do that for the people of Israel. However, it doesn't mean that they were completely cleansed or forgiven in God's sight. So just a, a key thing to remember and consider. Right. Now, second, the disciples responded to the call of Jesus and they followed him. They were not just the average believer who maybe came out to see him because they believed in his power to perform miracles at the time. No, you could say that they sought more. They definitely wanted intimacy with Jesus, and they were hungry for every one of his words that came forth out of his mouth. You know, it takes a disciple and not just a believer to fall in love with Jesus. Yeah, and a third point, Andy, is that Jesus himself said in Scripture that salvation is of the Jews. We see that in John 4, 22, and I'll read the NIV version because it's a little clearer there. It says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. And then John 10, 27 says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So what happened metaphorically for us happened literally for the disciples. They were saved in two ways, both as Jews who gained God's approval and as Christians who responded to Jesus's call. And notice that in both cases, their salvation was by faith. The Jews look forward to the coming Messiah in faith. And Christians look backward in faith at the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross at Calvary. Great points, Jordan. Okay, so now let's move on to C, which represents context. Now here we see Jesus is teaching his disciples about his kingdom. Here in Matthew chapter 18, he's teaching them how to work towards earning entrance into his millennial kingdom and how not to forfeit it as well. Again, this is a future event, the millennial kingdom. Now, at this point in time, Jesus had chosen his 12 disciples and had dozens of disciples following him and learning his ways. Right. The Sermon on the Mount had already been preached at this point, and his disciples had been introduced to the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. And yes, contrary to popular belief, there is more than one gospel written of in the Bible. For today, we will just compare two of them, the gospel of grace and the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, the gospel of grace pertains to the first coming of Jesus Christ and can be read in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 4 as an example. Paul writes there, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. So that's a very simple, truthful version of the good news for all mankind. And it must be completely understood and completely believed in order to be saved from the penalty of sin, as we see in verses such as Romans 6.23. Okay, so now let's look at the gospel of the kingdom of heaven. And we'll see here now that this is actually quite different from the gospel of grace. The gospel of the kingdom is good news regarding the second coming of Jesus Christ. This will be at a time when Jesus will finally fulfill the prophecy that was placed as a charge over his head on the cross. And if you remember, those words were king of the Jews. Now, it's good news for Christians who look forward to a time when they might be rewarded by becoming joint heirs with Christ. And the variable here is if, if they choose to suffer in their lives with Jesus. And you could study and read about that in Romans chapter 8. Now, looking ahead a few chapters from today's scripture reading, we see an entire chapter, Matthew 24, and this topic here is the study of eschatology. Eschatology is the part of theology concerned with death, judgment, and the final destiny of the soul and of humankind. Yeah, and Matthew 24 is all about this topic of eschatology. 
uh, verse 14 in particular, mentions the importance of the gospel of the kingdom as part of eschatology when Jesus says, quote, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So it's very important to note that most of what Jesus preached to the already saved or safe disciples was this gospel of the kingdom, especially during the Sermon on the Mount and in the parables, for example. Another key thing to understand about the context of today's Bible reading is that it occurs following an event known as the Mount of Transfiguration. We did an entire uh, study on that recently, Andy, but maybe you could explain really quickly what happened during that event. Sure, well, this is an event when the three leading disciples, Peter, James, and John, they saw a foreshadow of Jesus in his glorified body on this mountain. So during the time that Jesus spoke the words of Matthew 18 to his disciples, he was focusing more and more of his time on training them, and by extension, of course, his future disciples, which we all hope we are, to live appropriately and to strive for the reward of the kingdom. That's kind of why he gave them that glimpse into this glorified body. So the reward of the kingdom, that is to strive toward attaining a glorified body at the judgment seat of Christ, and that's required in order to return with Christ Jesus to serve him during his millennial reign on earth. And you could definitely look into the detail of this in scripture. And a couple references are 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 15, and also 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Now that we know the speaker, audience, and context of our scripture reading, we're ready to attempt an explanation. That's the E in this space acronym. We've gone over quite a few points in our discussion of context, but that was all critical to building the foundation required to understand and explain today's lesson. Let's go back to Matthew 18, 18 one more time. Again, it says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Understanding this one verse is the key to unlocking the entire passage's meaning. Okay, Jordan, so here are some key points to consider that will help us understand these verses. Number one, the language. So, Make no mistake, God knew exactly what he was doing when, according to his plan, the New Testament was written in the Greek language. Many linguists say that Greek is one of the most detailed and thorough languages ever created. And as you might know by now, if you've been listening to our program for some time, it is biblically proven that our God is all about studying his word and appreciating the details. Now, bear with us because we are about to get into a little bit of New Testament Greek study including some grammar. Yeah, we promise we'll keep it short and simple, but it is critically important to uh, get into this kind of a study. So two key words that we'll examine today are the words in English, bound and loose. A literal translation of bound, and again, we're all referencing the New Testament Greek here, is forbid. And a literal translation of loose is permit. So if you plug those two words into verse 18, you can read it thus. Truly I say to you, whatever you forbid on earth, shall have been forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth shall have been permitted in heaven. So we see here that Jesus Christ is giving some leniency and license to his disciples for judgment regarding common everyday situational behavior. Yes, Jordan, and the Greek word for whatever, and the specific word that Jesus used, is the word hosos. It basically means whatsoever or everything. So thus, everything you forbid and everything you permit is what he was telling the disciples. Now, another key point to consider, the phrase Jesus uses, shall have been, is in the Greek future, perfect tense, with a passive voice. Now, we know it sounds confusing. We get it. So, let's break it down. And of course, isn't that what Bible study is all about? Right. 
Jordan. Yeah, so the future perfect tense refers to a completed action in the future. And again, this is going to sound confusing, so we'll, we'll try to simplify it. When we use this tense, we are projecting ourselves forward into the future and then looking back at an action that will be completed sometime later than now. It's most often used as a time-based expression. You can tell we're sort of moving in time here. Right. And just to make it really simple, a simple example would be the sentence, the patient will have recovered from his surgery by next month. Right, very good. So when Jesus carefully chose and spoke these words in this tense, he was alluding to his disciples then and now of the judgment seat of Christ. This is a time when all the thoughts and actions of saved men will be revealed and tested for value, what some people call a just recompense of reward. Now you might ask, well, why is his use of this tense critical in understanding his teaching here? Well, pay attention because the next part will help make the connection. So now let's turn to the passive voice. Writers or speakers often use the passive voice when they want to change the focus in a sentence. They often use it when they're not interested in what causes an action. Now, an interesting point to note, people often use the passive voice when speaking of scientific writings or factual statements. Yeah, in this case, we might say that Jesus might not be so interested in what causes an issue or a problem in our lives, but more importantly, how we handle ourselves and deal with that problem. He's basically saying here, don't lie to yourself and don't lie to the Holy Spirit, which is sealed within you. Right, Jordan. If I should possibly get convicted about something, and even if it's not spoken of in the Bible, I must treat it as a judging law for myself. Now, I can definitely expect that I will be judged at the Bema seat in heaven, if I ignore my convictions. Again, that's why Jesus uses the future perfect tense. Now, putting it all together and translating it into layman's terms, Jesus is basically saying something like this. It's not so important what exactly it is, but you can bet your bottom dollar, whatever convicts your heart, don't do it because you will for sure be judged by that standard. And if the Holy Spirit does not convict your heart about something, then don't worry about being judged for it later. Yeah, what's really interesting about this, every Christian won't be convicted about the same issue. For example, what Andy might forbid or permit might be completely different from what I, Jordan, forbid or permits. Yeah, Jordan, let me give our listeners a, a quick example, uh, historically in my life. So I would say it's probably back in the early 2000s. We were Christian, I was Christian at the time, and I was just learning about the kingdom truths. And if you recall back then, you and I were attending some Bible studies and starting getting deeper into the Word. Right. So at the time... I actually had a pretty strong sports gambling habit. Now, I, I come from a background where I played sports all my life, and I, I love sports. And it was something where on a Sunday, you know, I would dedicate time, you know, looking at spreads and looking at, at the games, the NFL games that were going on throughout the country. So, you know, because of that, I was not going to church. I was not attending church on Sunday. I was still reading the Bible and doing what I was supposed to scripturally, but I was neglecting church and it was becoming an idol to me. So one of the Bible studies that we did during the week was when Jesus was getting ready to be put on the cross and we see that the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, were actually gambling for his clothes. Right. And one of the things we learned in that Bible study is that most people might not know this, but when they crucified him, he was actually completely naked. He was completely naked and suffered major embarrassment in front of the people, especially at a time back then, which was very old-fashioned and even in front of his, his family and his best friends. So I thought to myself, wow, these Roman soldiers were actually throwing dice, casting lots, and gambling for his clothes. For whatever reason, me specifically, it really convicted me. So all glory goes to God from that time forward. Since then, I haven't gambled. It's something that, to me, that convicts me. It's something, to me, that binds me on earth. So because of these scriptures, I know it'll bind me in heaven. In other words, I'll be held accountable for it. So it's just something I just, as an example in my life, where, you know, Sports gambling is something that, to me, is a no-no. 
But, you know, other people at home, it might be different. It might not be a problem. You know, so there's people that, you know, enjoy gambling and have some fun with it. And that's okay, because it doesn't say in the Bible you can't gamble. But applying these scriptures today and doing our study, it's just trying to let people know that's how the Holy Spirit works. Yeah, and you know, as Christ- lifelong Christians, we've often had these conversations about many different topics, whether it's smoking or drinking or whatever it is, you know, there, there are variances, there are some purists or Puritans who will get really into dissecting the Bible to try to find whether that's, you know, some people will say, the Apostle Paul, you know, said, take a little wine for your stomach's sake. Is that considered alcohol? Or was the, the wine that Jesus turned from water was that really alcoholic? And you get into all these topics. Exactly. And, and it, it's kind of fascinating to me because, um, the, you know, the Apostle Paul himself sort of expressed a paradox about this, about our freedom in Christ, which is what you're expressing in 1 Corinthians 10. And I'd like to read it because um, it's really important to wrap your head around, around this ultimately. Listen to what he says, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. Eat anything that is sold in the meat market without asking questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. But if anyone says to you, this is meat sacrificed to idols, do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for conscience's sake. I mean not your own conscience, but the other man's. For why is my freedom judged by another man's conscience? So to set up this paradox, it raises the question, how can a violation of the law, in this case eating meat sacrificed to idols, which was a big no-no in the Jewish culture, be good for one believer and not good for another, or both good and bad at the same time. And the Apostle Paul explains that it depends on what we forbid or permit. Yeah, the Apostle Paul permitted it, and his conscience said, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains. Another person, though, forbade it. That brother's conscience probably said, this meat is sacrificed to idols, meaning he understood it to be an offense to God. Once informed, The Apostle Paul also forbade eating the meat for the sake of that brother's conscience. And Paul expands on his thinking in Romans 14 when he writes, beginning in verse 14, I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Now there's that paradox again. Verse 15, For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. Do not let what is for you a good thing be speaking of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So Jordan, question, what is the everyday takeaway from this passage of scripture? Yeah, Andy, I think today's study teaches us how God wants his disciples to handle all those gray areas in our lives that might or might not be considered sin to us or to other people. Everyone has a different life, a different culture, a different background often with different quote-unquote laws to follow. So what might be forbidden for some Christians could be permitted for others. And there are situations when what is permitted for an individual Christian can become forbidden based on the supreme law, which is what the Apostle Paul was driving at, the supreme law, the law of love. I think this teaching is very important for disciples, would-be disciples included, to understand There are so many scenarios that are not specifically in the Bible that the Holy Spirit, when speaking to each of us individually, directs us away from to keep us from judgment and to keep us on the path of reward. Agreed, Jordan. So a final note. Earlier in our study, we mentioned Matthew 16, 13 to 19 as a connecting verse with today's study. So we're going to read now Matthew 16, 13 to 19 for everyone listening. 
Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who was in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. So as can be seen in verse 19, Peter was given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Yeah, we believe this to be the wisdom, knowledge, and understanding required to attain it. Having these will make you fall in love with Christ Jesus, as you said earlier, Andy. For those of us who have been blessed to see and understand the kingdom truths as well, we must be diligent and strive to keep our king's commandments. Yeah, Jordan, that's why we strongly believe studying and understanding scripture like Matthew 18, 15 to 18 are really important keys to receive the reward. Remember what 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. Amen. And that's our lesson, which means we have just a few minutes to explain our initiative, Get 20, Give 20. Get 20 is our reminder that you can get a 20-minute Bible study anytime you like by visiting our website. We archive all lessons and make them available for free at 20minutebiblestudies.org. You can listen online or download them for later or even subscribe to the podcast version and have new lessons automatically delivered to your favorite smart device. Even more important, our website is the place where you can join in our Bible studies by sharing your comments and asking any questions you may have. And we have a growing Facebook community and a discussion forum. When you're on our site, you should also sign up for email alerts so we can let you know when new lessons have been added. Also, when you sign up for email alerts, our first email back to you will include a link to a special series we put together titled 10 Mind-Blowing Things You Didn't Know Were in the Bible. It's an eye-opening set of Bible lessons, and it's our little thank you for joining our online community. It's all online at 20minutebiblestudies.org. Or, if you don't want to type so much, 20mbs.org will get you there faster. Moving on to Give 20. This is our special initiative to reach as many spiritually hungry Christians as we can. We know so many Christians find it hard to make time to study God's Word and then feel guilty they're unable to do it. Studying the Word of God is so vital to our spiritual growth, and yet it can be so hard sometimes to find a good study group and then attend that group on a regular basis. This is why we created 20-Minute Bible Studies. Everyone can find 20 minutes for God, and now, with this audio program, that's all Christians will need. They can listen to a Bible study whenever and wherever they like. The Give 20 initiative is your chance to participate in this great ministry and receive the special blessings that come from spreading God's Word. By giving just $20 per month, you can help us create more lessons and reach more believers than ever before. Plus, we pledge that every cent you contribute will go directly toward recording and broadcasting more lessons like the one you heard today. And since our ministry is an official nonprofit registered with the government, your donation is also fully tax deductible. To join our Give 20 initiative, visit 20mbs.org and click Donate. And finally, 20-Minute Bible Studies is a ministry of Mysteries of the Kingdom, a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating Christians in preparation for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
If you liked what you heard today and want to go deeper into God's Word, we strongly recommend you visit the website of Mysteries of the Kingdom, MOTK.org. Yes, these radio studies are just 20 minutes, but our MOTK lessons last as long as needed to fully understand whatever passage of Scripture we're studying. So if you're interested in learning more about what you heard today, you'll definitely want to check out our in-depth, multi-part studies, which are available for free at MOTK.org. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple, to the Abundant Life Worship Center for the music for our show, and to Tom Pine for our scripture reading. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Mysteries of the Kingdom Incorporated.